We are in the middle of chapter 35, and we're exploring the importance of actual physical deed. And we're coming to realize that the deed of the mitzvah is surpasses everything, surpasses even those amazing feelings that come with the mitzvah, surpass those spiritual feelings of love and fear and yearning for Hashem. And recently I heard a story. I actually saw it written in the Kesar Shem Tov. This is a story of the Baal Shem Tov. He traveled once with a minion of his students to a very simple village where the people were not learned at all. And he stayed there for Shabbos, and I don't even know if they joined the minion. But suddenly, when it came to the third meal of Shabbat, the meal towards the afternoon, that if you eat it for long enough, you'll see Shabbos out, all the people in the village got together. The head of the village made a big feast. He served everybody, and they were there to honor the third meal of Shabbat. Now, when the Baal Shem Tov looked at the leader of the community, himself a simple person, he saw that there is something special about him that brings pleasure to Hashem. And he asked them, what's this custom that you have of shalashudis, of serving everybody such a great meal for the third meal of Shabbat? Why does the whole community get together? And he said, you know, I often hear people say that when their time comes for the neshama to leave the body, they hope that they will be among other Jews. It's a special thing for the Jewish person to be around other Jews when the neshama leaves this world. And he also heard that every Shabbat, Jewish people get a neshama yesera, an additional soul. And as Shabbat leaves, this additional soul leaves. And he thought, you know what? Wouldn't this be special to be among other Jews when the additional Shabbat soul leaves the body. So he makes this whole feast to invite the whole community so that he will be in company of fellow Jews when his additional soul leaves. And the Baal Shem Tov took great pleasure in his words. But if you think about this story, there's something amazing here. Because we're talking about, in the original thought, it's about people dying among other Jews. But this Jew is talking about living among other Jews. And it's the same thing with Mesiras Nefesh, sacrificing life. How amazing it is to give up life to sanctify Hashem's name. So much so that Rabbi Akiva wished for this all his life. He was waiting for the opportunity to give up his soul in sanctification of Hashem's name. But you cannot compare living in sanctification for Hashem's name. Living a life of total devotion to Hashem. And the same thing, how special it is to give up a soul among other Jews. How much more special it is to do Torah and mitzvahs in the company of other Jews. So we're really so blessed that we get to study Torah together. It's experience of us together experiencing closeness to Hashem in company. And this is an amazing opportunity that we cannot ignore and that we cannot take for granted. So here we are in the middle of chapter 35, and the Alter Rebbe just explained to us what is unique about a mitzvah. A mitzvah is unique in that it is pure expression of the divine. We were looking at the words of the Yenuka, the young child, quoted in the Zohar, and he said, in order to sustain the light of the Shekhinah over the body, well, upon the head, which is over the body, 
you need good deeds. The body is the wick, the Shekhinah is the flame, and what can serve as oil? And it was specifically good deeds. And the question became, why can't it be the soul, the pure and holy divine soul? Think about the soul of a lofty person who desires Hashem so much, who is rapturous with feelings of love and awe of Him. Why can't His soul alone serve as the oil for the Shekhinah? And the answer is, the reason why the soul of a holy person, no matter how much he desires Hashem, no matter how much he's filled with love of Him, even a neshama that comes from the world of Atzilus, the highest worlds, nevertheless, he has an identity of his own. The fact that there is somebody who loves means that there is an identity apart from Hashem. And the Altarab explained that the indwelling of the Shekhinah is specifically through something that is completely subsumed within the divine, which has no identity of its own. Only when something is utterly nullified within the divine can it purely manifest Hashem and serve as oil for the Shekhinah. So now we're going to look at this note that he brings from his teacher, that the altar brings from his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, explaining and this concept. Really, this is exactly what the altar said until now, and now he's bringing this in a note. Concerning his aforementioned statement that the ain't so flight reveals itself only within that which is totally nullified before God and absorbed within him, the Altar Rebbe notes, This accords with what I heard from my teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, peace upon him, on the meaning of and the reason behind the statement of the Eitz Chaim, that the Ein Sof light does not unite itself even with the world of Atzilut, emanation. So here he is quoting a statement from Eitz Chaim. Eitz Chaim are the teachings of the Arizal, the holy Kabbalist from Tzvat, 16th century. The Arizal writes in Eitz Chaim, well he doesn't write it, actually his student writes it. Rabbi Chaim Vital writes in Eitz Chaim, quoting his teacher, the Arizal, that even when it comes to the highest world, the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, which is not even a world in the proper sense. World, olam, comes from the word he'elem, which means hiddenness. A world is something that hides the divine. The first of the four worlds is the world of Atzilut, or Atzilus, like we say in yeshiva language. <laughs> Atzilus is the world of emanation. It comes from the word Eitzel, Eitzel v'samuch, close by. It is very, very close to Hashem. It's a world that is totally suffused with divine energy. Now, even in this highest world, where all the ten holy sefirot of that world are totally united and suffused with the divine, nevertheless, this fusion happens specifically through first being vested in Chachmah. The first Sephira, the Sephira of Chachma. This is what the rest of the note says. Ela al chachma. Except by first vesting itself in the attribute of Chachma, wisdom. So the Magad explained A, the meaning 
of Ein Sos vesting itself in Chachma, and B, provided the reason that it does not unite with Atzilut, except by way of Chachma. We're going to explore, explore the note further. I'm just going to continue reading, and then we're going to explore. V'hainu mishum, she'ein seif baruchu, hu echad ha'emes, shehu levadehu ve'ein zulasai. This is because the Ein Sof is the true one, which means that he alone exists, and there is not besides him. And this, in fact, is the level of Chachma. So what does this mean? It means like this. What does it mean that Hashem is manifest in something? Hashem is manifest in something only that expresses the utter divine truth. What is the utter divine truth? Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. What does it mean, Hashem Echad? Hashem Echad means there is no existence apart from Hashem. In order for something to express that truth, it cannot stand in the way of that truth. And there is only one Sephira like that. That is the Sephira of Chachma. Chachma is the first of the Sephirot. And what is it? If you break it up into two words, it's translated as wisdom. If you break it up into two words, it stands for Kayach Ma, the potentiality of Ma, what is. For example, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was answering the Jewish people's complaints against him and his brother Aaron, he said, V'nachnu Ma, and we, what are we? Ma. Ma is a state of wonderment, no sense of self. In Kabbalah, the Sephira of Chachma is compared to the power of vision. What is the power of vision? The power of vision is the power to take something in as it is without any sense of self. Think about when you hear about something and when you see something. When you hear about something, you are using your internal processing to piece the puzzle together step by step until you come to a comprehension and you have a feeling of it. It's cogitation, bina, the next step. Chachma is the first sense of awareness. Now, normally, Chachma and Bina, the first two Sefirot, work together. The Zohar calls them two inseparable friends. But if you were to separate them and see the difference between Chachma, which is like vision, and Bina, which is like hearing, Rabbi Shtezels gives the example of somebody waking up from anesthesia. So first, they just become aware of their surroundings without many, making any sense of it whatsoever. And then as they become more conscious, then they become aware of what's going on. That first stage of just being aware, that's Chachma. There is no sense of self. And even though the pleasure in the divine in having that no sense of self is greater, but you don't even feel it because you're so lost. In that stage of vision, a person becomes so lost that they don't even feel themselves, even though the pleasure of unity with the divine at that stage is much greater. But at that point, there's no expression. They can't say, I am feeling, this is what I am feeling. And that's what Chachma is. Chachma is nothing but taking in the divine without any sense of self, utter and total Self-nullification. So, even in the highest world, the world of Atsilut, 
the world of emanation, where it is perfectly fused with the divine. This fusion only happens by the Ein Sof first vesting itself within Chachma, because Chachma has no sense of self. So this is the meaning and the reason why it happens. But Chachma is the level of nullification. Because it's a nullification, because it's the level of nullification, it is pure, perfectly suited for manifesting the divine. And therefore, because it's perfectly suited for manifesting the divine, what's the divine? That there is nothing else besides Hashem, because it could express this truth with no sense of self. That's only where the Ein Sof first vests itself. And through this fusion with the Ein Sof in Chachma, Therefore, through Chachmah, the divine fuses with all of the Sifirot of the world of Atzilut. Now, let's just see what Lessons in Tanya has to say about this note. And that is, this note expresses a profound Hasidic concept. And after further study of the Tanya, we will understand it more clearly. So it is a profound concept, and it is something that the Alter Rebbe brings to express the idea that he's saying here. The attribute of Chachma represents the perception of godliness as the sole existing being. This then is the meaning of the Ein Sof's clothing itself in the attribute of Chachma. The revelation of the Ein Sof as one alone with not besides him. And for this reason, the Ein Sof does not unite with any other world or level except by way of Chachma. For as stated above, God abides may be united with only where there is no sense of self or separation from him, only in that which is pervaded with the spirit of he alone and not besides him. And this spirit constitutes the attribute of Chachma, as stated. So this underscores what we learned until now, that the manifestation of the Shekhinah only comes through something that has no identity of its own. And that's what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is pure expression of the divine without any sense of self. And specifically the mitzvah that allows the Shekhinah to burn, the flame of the Shekhinah to burn above the body. So now, looking at this, knowing that anything that is an expression of the divine allows the Shekhinah to rest, then we would think that there's no difference between Torah and mitzvot. Because after all, Torah study is a mitzvah. It is Hashem's pure will. And nevertheless, when we look at the words of the Yanuka, we see that's not what he said. He said that the body is the wick and the, the oil to fuel the flame above the head are specifically good deeds. Why did he single out good deeds above Torah study as fuel for the light of the Shekhinah above the head. Now, when we say above the head, we mean that the light of the Shekhinah is even going to be manifest upon the body. The Alter Rebbe now returns to our subject of the light of the Shekhinah, which rests upon man only through the mitzvot, which alone can serve as oil for this light. He points out that the effect of this light upon the person performing a mitzvah varies from one category of mitzvot to another. Those mitzvot performed in one thought and speech cause the light of the Shekhinah to rest upon the divine soul alone. Drawing this light upon the body and upon the animal soul requires the performance of mitzvot, which involve action. 
where one harnesses the power of the animal, life-giving soul, in the Alter Rebbe's words. So here is something unique, because as we travel through Tanya, we will look at different angles. We will look at Torah for its specialty. We will look at mitzvahs for its specialty. And here we're focusing on practical mitzvahs, the advantage that they have even above Torah study, which is unique because Torah study really in a certain sense sense surpasses everything. But over here we're looking at what does practical mitzvah have that gives it a certain advantage even over Torah study. Now thinking about what happens when we study Torah, and this is something that we're going to explore coming up. When we study Torah, there is a total fusion with the divine. Our divine soul becomes totally one with Hashem as we study Torah. And we learned that too in chapter 34, chapter 23. This is something that we learned previously. If you look at the Ten Commandments, right? We made such a big deal. We just celebrated the holiday of Shavuot. And the Alter Rebbe in a Hasidic discourse talks about the event of Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. There was all this thunder and lightning. There was this whole commotion, a whole tumult, right? When the Torah was given, the whole world was silent. The birds did not fly. The oxen didn't low. Even the holy angels did not scream Kadosh. Then Hashem comes down on Harsina, and what does he say? Very simple things that most of society had already accepted. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Why is the whole world stopping for this? What's the grand event? Why all the thunder and the lightning? And that's because there's a difference between don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery that are sociologically sound ideas. And don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery that are mitzvahs of the Torah. They're not the same thing. One is to protect society. One is so that people get along with each other. One are humanly logical laws. The other ones are, of course, that too. But these are pure divine will that allow us to connect with the infinite. And they're not the same thing. So yes, in their content, they sound the same. But once they are a mitzvah, this is something different. This is something infinite. There's a reason why the whole world stopped. The whole world stopped because at this point, we were given the ability to forge a connection with the divine. So let's see what happens when somebody studies Torah. Vihine. Adam Isaac Batayra, Azai Nishmasai, Shehi Nafsheha Elekis, Im Shne Livusheha, Hapnimim Levadam, Shehim Koyach, Hadibur Umachashava. When a person studies Torah, using his powers of thought and speech, his nishama, his divine soul, with its two inner garments only, meaning the faculties of speech and thought. So again and again, this subject comes up in Tanya. We talk about the essence of the soul and the garments of the, of the soul. The essence of the soul are its intellect and emotion, the way it understands, the way it feels. The garments of the soul are the way the soul expresses itself. And there are three garments. There are thought, speech, and action. These are three ways that the soul expresses itself. So thought is obviously an internal garment as it is connected to the soul itself. That is why thought functions ceaselessly. 
It is closely bound to the soul, and the soul's present is constant. Speech, too, is internal when compared with action, which acts upon objects outside of the soul. So normally when we say the internal garment, we always mean thought. But compared to action, speech is also an internal garment. Thought is very internal. It really doesn't come outside of ourself. It's something that is intimate to us. It's our self expressing ourselves to ourself. The soul expressing itself to the person's conscious self. Speech is a person expressing himself, his feelings, the things he understands, to outside of himself. But it is still something internal because speech only lasts as long as the speaker is speaking. Action is very external. You build a table and you walk away. The action still exists. You won't even know who made that table. So here, when a person studies Torah, what's involved? Their internal garment of thought and their garment of speech. Torah study is not just about thinking. Torah study is actually about pronouncing the words out loud. The Talmud tells the story of Bruria. Bruria was the famous daughter of Rabbi Hanina Brent Trajon. Brilliant, brilliant woman, the wife of the great Rabbi Mayer. They said about her that not a day went by where she didn't study 300 matters pertaining to halacha. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi used to ask her her opinion when it came to matters of purity of woman. And when there was a disagreement between her and her brother, the sages said that we accept Bruria's opinion over her brother's because she is a greater scholar than her brother. So this is Bruria. And Bruria is one time walking by a student who's studying quietly. And she kicks him. I don't know if she actually kicked him or she figuratively kicked him by giving it to him over his head. And she said, don't you know what it says? It says, Arucha bakal ushmura. Arranged within any, everything and guarded. If the Torah is arranged within your 248 limbs, then it is guarded. If you want to keep the Torah, you need to say it out loud. Because you're exerting your body, then you're going to keep it. You're going to preserve it within you. And in fact, this is what the Gemara goes on to say. Quoting Mishle, Shlomo HaMelech in Proverbs, he says, Because they are life to those that find them and healing for all his flesh. And the Talmud says, don't read to those who find them, but to those who say it out with their mouth. It is very important to actually say the words out loud with your mouth. And even in Shulchan Aruch, it is codified that if a per, a per, when a person studies Torah, he should study out loud. It says like this, whoever studies out loud will retain his studies. If he reads in a whisper, he will soon forget them. So studying out loud is definitely very Jewish. You walk into a base medrash, you'll see what's going on. They're studying out loud, and that's for a reason. Torah study involves the mind. It also involves speech. When a person studies in their mind, they're doing a mitzvah too. There's the mitzvah of v'hagisa ba'yayman v'layla. You should ponder them day and night. And then there's also the mitzvah of v'dibartibam, and you shall speak of them. So Torah study involves the garments of thought, the garments of speech. So what happens when a person studies Torah using these two garments? In this way, 
these garments, faculty of speech and thought, nechlalais be'or Hashem ensev baruchu umiuchades by beyichud gamor. They are absorbed within the light of God, the Ainsof, blessed be he, and are merged within it in perfect unity. When a person studies Torah, what happens? His divine soul, his, thought, his garment of thought, his garment of speech become totally subsumed within the divine and completely united with Hashem. So here we see that a soul on its own cannot serve as the oil. But when the soul closes that circuit, when that soul expresses the divine will within this world, that soul suddenly unites with the divine. The soul then becomes subsumed within the divine reality. So in the act of Torah study, the divine soul itself, together with its garments of thought and speech, become united with the divine, totally subsumed within the divine reality. A person could be studying Torah in this world and don't even realize what's going on, but they are actually closing the circuit. Torah is here in this world, but it doesn't blossom or flourish into fruition unless we are making that connection point. And when we make that connection point, we are completely fusing with the infinite. This expression of the divine in this world is crazy. It's like the fact that we can do it blows the mind. It is quoted in the name of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev that if one string of tzitzis would be in paradise, the entire paradise would go up in flames. So how is it that a person in this world can wear tzitzis and not be burned? And the answer is because we're not in paradise. We're an entirely different framework, this world that conceals the divine. So the concealment that bothers us so much is also what allows us to experience the very essence of Hashem. So this idea that the soul and its two garments is fusing with the divine in the act of Torah study, what is it? V'hi hashra'as hashchina al alekes. This constitutes the resting of the Shekhinah on his divine soul. As our sages have said, when even one person applies himself diligently to Torah study, the Shekhinah is with him. Meaning in this case that the Shekhinah rests upon his divine soul and upon its faculties of thought and speech, which are engaged in the mental and oral study of the Torah. So our sages say that when a person studies Torah, the Shekhinah is with him. How is the Shekhinah with him in this case? It's resting upon his divine soul and his divine soul's garments of thought and speech. So that's one level. But ultimately, and this is something we're going to explore next chapter, Hashem created this world with the purpose of dwelling in the lowest realms. We're not going to call the divine soul the lowest realms. That's not the ultimate. We want to see the manifestation of the Shekhinah in the lower elements of our own selves, which means our animal soul, and our body. And Torah study alone does not do that. Now, not to confuse anybody, but when we study chapter 37, we're going to see that even speaking is something of a physical act. But it's obviously not enough of a physical act to make enough of an impression. Because here we're focusing on practical mitzvahs and speaking is not enough of a physical act. Speaking is called maisa zuta in the Talmud. It means a minor act. 
Yes, it involves the pronunciation, the utterance of the lips. But first and foremost, speaking is not an action. Speaking is a revelation of your thoughts and feelings outside of yourself. In order to do that, you need to move your lips. But a true action is not secondary. That is it. It's a physical action. And so if we want to manifest the Shekhinah upon the lowest elements of the world, Torah study is not going to be enough. However, in order to draw the light and radiance of the Shekhinah upon his body and animal soul as well, meaning upon the vitalizing soul actually clothed in the body and providing for it a corporeal life force. So let's look at the animal soul. The animal soul is also called the nefesh hachiyunis, the vitalizing soul. Because practically speaking, this is the one that's invested within the blood that gives the body its physical life. It is the one that causes us to feel hungry or tired or thirsty. All our natural tendencies come from this animal soul that gives physical life. So we want to draw down the Shekhinah. Not just upon our divine soul, but even upon this animal soul, this vitalizing soul. How do we do that? One must fulfill the practical mitzvot, the commandments involving the faculty of action, which are performed with the body itself. That means that when a person lights Shabbat candles, when a person shakes the lulav, when a person puts on tefillin, when a person does a physical act involving the body, we engage the animal soul. What happens then? In this way, the actual power of the body engaged in this act, meaning when one dons to fill in, it is the physical strength in his arm that impels the motion that constitute the fulfillment of the mitzvah. And therefore, the bodily power is absorbed in the divine light and will and merges with it in perfect unity. So the body is propelled by this vitalizing soul. This power of the vitalizing soul, when it does a mitzvah, is actually absorbed within the divine light. The hulavush hashlishi. This power of the body constitutes the third garment of the divine soul. As mentioned in chapter 4, the divine soul expresses itself in the faculty of action through performing the mitzvot. So what's involved in an action? In an action is involved the divine soul's power of action, but not just that. As we're going to see just coming up, in order for the divine soul's garment of action to express itself, it needs to use the vitalizing soul's power. Anything that will be involved in the act of the mitzvah is going to be totally subsumed within the divine. And here they remind us of what we learned in chapter four, that the only way the divine soul expresses itself is through Torah and mitzvot. And this is a very important concept to be aware of. Because people think, oh, you know, I'm holy, I'm spiritual. The divine soul 
cannot express itself without Torah and mitzvahs. That's the only way it expresses itself. So its thought is expressed in thoughts of Torah and mitzvahs. Its speech is expressed in speech of Torah and mitzvahs. And its actions are expressed in actions of Torah and mitzvahs. And that's why you'll find this interesting phenomenon. Like if you'll meet somebody who, you know, didn't have a chance really to keep Torah and mitzvahs and suddenly they have this opportunity. Like, for example, somebody putting on tefillin for the first time, somebody saying Shema for the first time. A lot of times people will break down in tears. If they don't even understand the words of Shema and they're crying, why? Because think about it. The divine soul has no means of expression except through the medium of Torah and mitzvahs. And here it was closeted all this time. And finally, it had a chance to express itself. The natural trigger is tears. Finally, a chance to express itself. So here's a divine soul expressing itself through the act of a mitzvah. And how does it do this? When the faculty of action is absorbed within the divine will, then in addition... The power of the vitalizing soul actually clothed within the body. The power of that soul derived from klipat noga. Nishapech meiralatayv v'nechlam mamish bekadusha kanefesh elikis mamish. Is transformed from evil to good and is actually absorbed into holiness exactly like the divine soul. So here we ask the question in the beginning of the chapter. Like, what a hard life. A Benoni comes down here, a divine soul within an animal soul that it can never transform. What would be the point of putting it within an animal soul that it can never transform? And the answer is, yes, it's true. It's never going to transform its very essence. And that's what we're going to talk about in this chapter. But it does harness it. It does use its power. And every time it uses its power, you know what gets subsumed and united within the divine? Even the animal soul. And that's a much more novel idea than the divine soul becoming subsumed within the divine. Because the divine soul, yes, it's a separate identity, but it's all about Hashem. That's its natural place. That's where it wants to be. It wants to be subsumed within the divine. The vitalizing soul, the animal soul, it's drawn to the material. It's drawn to the physical. It's drawn to all matters of this world. But when it is harnessed to be used as a power for a mitzvah, during the act of the mitzvah, not only is the divine soul totally, totally merged and fused with the divine, but even the animal soul, the vitalizing soul, which gives this power to move the body, is subsumed within the divine at that time. And that is huge. It becomes transformed from evil to good in those moments, exactly like the divine soul. So if you think you can't transform your animal soul, you're right, but you're also wrong. <laughs> because when you're doing a mitzvah, you're using its power for good. And in those moments, that power becomes subsumed within the divine and totally transformed into something good. How is that? <laughs> for it is the power of the animal soul that implements and performs the act that constitutes the mitzvah. True, the divine soul is the force motivating one's observance of a mitzvah, yet the divine soul cannot directly activate the body to perform a physical action, to don the tefillin, for example. It can accomplish this only through the agency of the animal soul, which serves as a medium between the divine soul and the body, in the Alter Rebbe's words. 
שבל עדי להיסה נפש על הכיס פיילס בגוף כלל. כי היא רוכניאס והגוף גשמי וחומרי. For without this power of the animal soul, the divine soul would not affect the body at all, since it is spiritual and the body is physical and corporeal, so that the body and divine soul are antithetical, as are the spiritual and material dimensions generally. So here we have two entities with two opposing natures. There's the divine soul. The divine soul yearns for Hashem. The divine soul is purely holy and spiritual. And you have a body. A body is coarse and material and drawn to things of this world. They don't speak the same language. If you want two entities that don't speak the same language to communicate with each other, you need an interpreter, right? One person speaks only Hebrew. One person speaks only English. You need an interpreter. What's an interpreter? An interpreter is somebody who speaks both languages. Speaks Hebrew? Speaks English. And so then it can take the Hebrew and translate it into English, take the English, translate it back into Hebrew, merge the gap, bridge the gap, and affect communication between the two. The divine soul is purely holy and spiritual. The body is purely material and corporeal. How are they going to talk to each other? The answer is the animal soul, the vitalizing soul. Why? Why? The intermediary between them is the vitalizing animal soul. Clothed in man's blood, which is in his heart and throughout his body. So the, divine, the animal soul is not physical. It's actually spiritual. A lot of times people confuse spiritual with holy. Spiritual doesn't mean holy. Spiritual means above the material realm, separate from the material realm, things that you can't see or you can't touch. As human beings, every human being lives somewhat of a spiritual life. I didn't say a good life. I said a spiritual life. Love is spiritual. Hatred is spiritual. All of these are spiritual experiences. So the divine soul is purely holy and spiritual. The body is physical and coarse. The animal soul is spiritual, like the divine soul. But it is coarse, like the body. It speaks a language between the two of them. And so therefore, it becomes the power that acts upon the body to move it, to affect it. The, the divine soul acts upon the body specifically through the intermediary of the animal soul. The animal soul is clothed in the most spiritual part of our physicality. What is that? That's our blood. Blood is physical. It could be measured. It could be held. But it also has something really interesting called heat. This is indicative of its spiritual nature. And it is what holds the animal soul. The primary location of the animal soul is within the heart. That's the source of the blood, what pumps the blood, what takes the blood back. But it circulates throughout the body and gives life to all of the limbs. And this is the animal soul invested in the blood, giving life to the entire body, communicating with the entire body. When the divine soul wants to do an action, it harnesses the power of the animal soul. 
the animal soul becomes the intermediary to actually act upon the body and do the mitzvah act. And in this way, when a mitzvah is performed, who is involved? There's the divine soul that implements the action. There's the animal soul that is communicating from the divine soul to the body. And then there's the body itself that is actually implementing the action. The nature of the animal soul is such that the coarsest, most material-like level of its spiritual substance is capable of clothing itself within the blood. Since the animal soul is the divine soul's medium of affecting the body, its active power is also absorbed into holiness when one performs a mitzvah. Okay, so let's wrap up what we said until now. What we said like this. We started off explaining a note of the Alter Rebbe from a teaching of his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich. He said like this, that quoting the Eitz Chaim, quoting the Arizal, even in the highest world of Atsilas, that world of emanation, which is totally fused with the divine, the divine soul does not fuse with that world except through vesting itself within Chachma because Chachma purely expresses the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. Chachma has total total and utter nullification and therefore it is the proper vessel for expressing the divine and this is the theme of this chapter only something that has no identity of itself can purely express the divine in this world it's only torah and mitzvot even a holy soul on its own with its own capabilities of love of fear of contemplation are not enough to fuel the light of the shekhinah to manifest the Shekhinah, because having love, having fear means having an identity. And having an identity stands in the way of the utter and total divine truth, that there is nothing else besides Hashem. Now, knowing that, we started to look at Torah and mitzvahs. Torah and mitzvahs are pure expressions of the divine. They allow for the manifestation of the Shekhinah. And when a person studies Torah, what happens is their divine soul then closes the circuit. Their divine soul then becomes totally subsumed within the divine, along with its garments of thought and speech. But this manifestation of the Shekhinah that happens in Torah study is specifically upon the divine soul and its powers of thought and speech. If we want to draw the Shekhinah down, not just upon our divine soul, but even upon our lowest elements, our body, our animal soul, we need to do a mitzvah. Because when we do a practical mitzvah, what happens is our divine soul is harnessing the power of the vitalizing soul. It harnesses the power of the vitalizing soul in order to move the body. That power of the vitalizing soul that actually powers the mitzvah, that energy that powers the mitzvah becomes utterly subsumed within the divine, totally transformed from evil to good in the act of the mitzvah, just like the divine soul itself. And in this way, the Shekhinah is drawn upon the vitalizing soul itself. Now there's going to be levels and we're going to talk about this next class. There's the way the Shekhinah is manifest upon the body, the way the Shekhinah is manifest manifest upon the totality of the animal soul and the way the Shekhinah is manifest upon the power of the animal soul. The most total experience is for sure for the divine soul 
and also for the power of the animal soul that powers the mitzvah, that energizes the mitzvah, that allows the mitzvah to, to become into fruition. But even upon the totality of the animal soul and upon the body, there's going to be a certain manifestation of the Shekhinah just from doing this physical act of a mitzvah. And I'm going to tell you this amazing story that I heard of the Chidushe Harim. The Chidushe Harim was the first Gera Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak Meir of Gore. And he once got a carriage ride from a maskil. This was a member of the Enlightenment movement who was not exactly observant. They were very progressive in their own mind. And they thought that Torah and mitzvahs are archaic. And they had their own way of thinking. So he's giving the Hasidic Rebbe a ride. And he says to him, well, what happened to the words of the Shema? The Torah warns us that if we don't keep the mitzvahs and we do sins, then God forbid the, the heavens are going to stop. There's not going to be any rain. Look at me. He said he sins all the time and he doesn't do any mitzvahs and he's wealthy, he's honored, and he lacks nothing. And the Chidushi Harim looked at him and he said, from your question, I can tell that you said Shema at least once in your lifetime. You did the mitzvah of Kriya Shema at least once. You should know that all the good in this world is not enough to pay you back for the one time you said Shema. And as for your sins, those will be subject to a different reckoning. We don't even understand the power of a mitzvah. The Chachamim say, Schar mitzvah al that there's no reward for a mitzvah in this world. It doesn't mean that mitzvahs don't get rewarded in this world. There are mitzvahs specifically that we know get rewarded in this world. But a true reward for a mitzvah is not possible in this world. Because what is a mitzvah? It's a connection with the infinite. This world cannot contain the infinite. But you know who contains the infinite? We. When we study Torah and we do a mitzvah, we are actually fusing with Hashem. We are actually fusing with the infinite. And there's no comparison of that. There's no experience like that. Not only not in this world, but not even in the higher worlds. Except for a Jew performing a mitzvah or studying Torah in this world where there's total fusion with the infinite, that doesn't exist anywhere. So we have to remind ourselves, be cognizant of, of the fact that we have this incredible opportunity to totally connect with Hashem through the act of Torah study. And specifically in this chapter, we're learning through the act of a practical mitzvah. And through the act of, the, of, through the act of a practical mitzvah, we can even fuse with a divine, not only on a spiritual divine soul level, but even on an animal soul level. So that's it for class today. And I'm opening up now for questions and discussion.